0: hello and welcome to living while feminist living while feminist is a weekly podcast talking with feminists about the ups and downs ins and outs and the emotional roller coaster ride of living a feminist life i'm your host feminist writer researcher and author jen thorpe Today I'm very excited to be talking to Kerry Hamilton, a Cape Town based writer who has published prose and poetry in various South African and international literary journals and anthologies. Kerry has an MA in Creative Writing and is a lecturer and supervisor for the Masters in Creative Writing at Rhodes University. She's also a PhD candidate at the University of the Western Cape. Kerry has read her work at many literary festivals, and her prose work has recently appeared in the Looking Glass anthology, Through the Single Girl's Lens, and Living Wild Feminist, which we'll talk about more today. She's published three poetry collections, The Secret Keeper in 2018 being the most recent, but also The Weather Report in 2014, and These Are the Lies I Told You in 2010. During the COVID-19 lockdown, Impepal Press featured her as one of 21 poets for 21 days, and you can see a few of her poems in a creative mixed-media format via her YouTube channel. Links to all of these will be in the show notes. On her website, her poetry manifesto says, My poetic voice arises out of the roles that I play in life. Woman, friend, lover, wife, daughter, godmother aunt, writer, poet, carer and seeker. At times I wish I could hide behind the artifice of a deceiving and deceptive language, a soft language, but that's not who I am. My language is simple and unerring. I like to step cleanly into a poem and its meaning. Kerry is an absolutely beautiful writer and I'm so happy to be able to talk to her today about the ability of words to make meaning in the world and to change the way that we think. So thank you so much, Kerry.
1: Thanks, Jen, for that really lovely introduction.
0: It's a pleasure. Let's start by talking about Living While Feminist, which is how we came to be interacting. Your piece is fantastic. I loved it so much. It's a short and prose poem called What She Wants. I mean, you can reframe that if I've gotten it wrong. But it begins with this beautiful line, it's easy to want the things that you are supposed to want. And then it goes on to list a few of the sort of stereotypical things that the mm. world expects from women. Can you tell me a bit more about how you came to write this piece and, and the idea of the expectations that the world has for women?
1: So I, that piece is part of a, of a bigger prose piece. Um, it's a, it's a, a novella that I have written, which which hasn't been published, um, but it's, it's part of my PhD. Um, and it's really looking at life from the, from the perspective of a, a middle-aged woman who hasn't done all of the things that you're supposed to have done. You know, children, um, you know, being married in a long-term relationship, all of those kinds of labels that are actually put on on onto women and it was important for me to be able to voice some of those things um you know growing up and and being an adult there they never been there never been sheroes that have been written for women like me you know most of everything's geared towards families everything's geared towards couples and when you don't fit into that um it's you don't I, you know i've never looked at myself and thought myself odd but you, you want to tell those stories, and I think that that's, that's really where the piece came from. It was, it was specifically about that and about actually then saying, well, what are the things that you actually do want? Mm-hmm. Um, and they can be as bizarre as, you know, I think I said a few things in there, as, as sitting and eating a whole bar of chocolate for supper, because mm-hmm. that's what you want to do, um, and not because you are in a space where you have to provide for somebody else and cook supper and do all of those things. My favorite part was the um, gold tackies.
0: And then I think, obviously, at the time you were writing around this, it may have been the drought in Cape Town. So there was also <laughs> spending time in a hotel room <laughs> so you can use the water. <laughs> it, was so, it was so funny, but it's so true because I think when you are a woman, you're forever battling these master narratives of this life yes. that you're supposed to have. Um, do you think that being a feminist or having sort of a feminist idea of the world makes it more difficult to want the things that you're supposed to want or it makes you more likely to question those expectations
1: I've never wanted those things so it's a very hard question to to for me to answer directly um mm. but I do but I do think that it, it does it does give you the ability to question and and to ask yourself what is it what is right for me at this moment in time what do I actually want um, and it could be those things and and mm. that's that's fantastic um but it doesn't mean that you as a woman you have to to have the whole burden of looking after the home and doing all of those traditional kind of things that are that are pushed onto you
0: i think that, that idea of having a choice is so important and uh, i think you know in some of the waves of feminism there's been less acceptance that some women might choose to want these things yes. that they've been expected to want all along and now i think we're opening up more open conversations around that Mm. that might be right for you. But the important thing is that you've made that choice. So you wrote this piece that was published now um, earlier this year, but it was obviously written and shared with me last year. And so yes. much of the world has changed since then. I mean, not least of all that the draft <laughs> is finished, so we can have a bath again. <laughs> but we are in a COVID-19 world right now while I'm recording. And it, it has, um, I think, shone a light onto some of the way that these expectations for women are quite harmful and affect their ability to live full lives. Has your feeling about the piece changed at all since you wrote it and since I published it? And um, And how are you feeling? What would maybe some of the things that you'd include
1: now? <laughs> you know, like going out without a mask on or something like that? No, I mean, i like to I like to think that in a way that i that I am, that I do push against the norm, but i would um I would always put a mask on because it's about <laughs> yeah. looking after myself and other people. Um I, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what else I would add to that. Um, I, there's probably a hundred things. Um, and if you ask different women, they're probably a yeah. hundred things that they that they would list yeah i think i think what i would add um is is a stronger ability to be able to speak up and say things when 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 other people particularly men make comments and statements um that are unfeminist I think is a nice polite way of putting it and um, and it's sometimes very quite difficult to do that particularly when you when you're in a a working relationship um, and you need to maintain that relationship for future contracts etc etc and at the end of the day it feels it feels horrible to me to let that kind of thing go I did try and make a joke about it yesterday, um, where somebody was going on about Women's Day and saying, oh, you know, hope that you get breakfast in bed and all of this, and so I went, well, I would would think that women would expect that every day. Mm. Um, And the kind of quote that came back to me was, well, you can have a bottle of champagne every day. And then the meeting had to start, so we kind of moved on from there. So (laughs) it's it's that kind of thing that I, I just don't get, you know, why? Women's Day is not about, not about making women feel uh, cared for. It's about Mm. actually acknowledging that they are equal, and Mm. that they have a long history, particularly in this country, of protest, um, of, of being equal people. Yeah, I mean, it sort of seems like people see
0: Women's Day as like a second Mother's Day for other women that might not have been included in Mother's Day. Yes, and this is sort of yes. not you buy a card or a cake or something. It's not yes, really an yes. acknowledgement of like struggle and activism. But so tell me a little bit about your um, feminist journey and how, how feminism or norms of feminism have affected your life and your writing.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question because I've been thinking about that prior to the call. And one of the things for me um, is that I didn't really understand what feminism was about until I was in matric. And that was a very long time ago. And I had been in an all-girls school for most of my schooling. Um, And so when you're in an all-girls school, everybody's equal. And then for matric, I made my parents send me to college. Um, So all of a sudden, I was in this co-ed environment and I carried on behaving as I would normally behave. And I got the label as being the feminist in the class. Because mm. I would speak out, I would I would do all of those things which I had got used to doing. And so and so it was an interesting space for me to reflect on who I was and, and what I was doing. And then I did the traditional things. I got married, um, got married young. I did I also got divorced quite quite soon after that. And it was always for me a struggle between do I want to go be in another relationship? Is that is that what my what my um where I'm going to. And one of the things that's always been important for me has been my writing. And so when I was married, it felt to me as if my writing couldn't be part of my life. And I really struggled with that. And so I kind of, I think went on a journey after that around focusing on my creativity and really just focusing on myself. And so that became my priority. Um, And I think lately and particularly because of my PhD, um I've started to read a lot of current feminist writers, um, particularly more radical writers, and it's made me angry. I think I was so focused on me and doing what I wanted to do that i didn't necessarily always realize that some other woman didn't necessarily have that that exact same freedom and i'm not <clears throat> I'm not talking about women in third world countries I'm talking about western white women who who may not have had the courage and the voice that i had um to be able to step outside of the norm and do what i wanted to do and so i'm not a i'm not a feminist in the sense of belonging to a a movement or to a group um i think my my feminism is much more about being who i want to be writing the things that i want to write um and supporting women I really struggle, you know, I belong to a few kind of book clubs online. And when everybody, anybody asks for a suggestion, I'm always astounded at the first 20 to 30 responses are always about men writers. And so mm. I just, just look at my bookshelf and then I just put in, you know, um, mm. all of these women writers. Um, and so I think that supporting and for me, particularly because I am a writer supporting other women writers is, is very important. Um, in terms of that journey mm,
0: I think it also gives you like pers- I suppose for me all reading and writing is around perspective and working out things and I think when you do read more broadly you are given access to a broader form of empathy and understanding and you know just a widened perspective of the of the world I'm yes. very interested in the word, the word "selfish," I mean, I think at one point I'm going to have to write a book about this because when <laughs> men are doing whatever they want, it's seen as like self-actualizing. But as soon as a woman goes and chooses to do the things that she wants, there's the word "selfish" and "selfish" yes. still comes laden with so much guilt, and you know that I that I don't know that it comes with for men. I
1: I think you're right, I th- and I I, I think in a way men don't necessarily see the impact of of some of their their behaviors and because they're so focused on themselves they don't yeah you know, i i don't know i don't want to generalize but i'm just thinking yeah. of a few people that i know you know who i can say yes the, the man has been the person who's been the breadwinner in the family and the woman has stayed at home and and looked after children etc cetera, etc cetera, and the man hasn't necessarily understood um, the impact of of what he's doing and what he's focusing on but then also know a lot of relationships which are very equal and both partners have careers and and things that they that they want to do.
0: But I think you're right in that it, it really if you enter into a relationship that it's about a negotiation between two equals hopefully yes. um, and an understanding I suppose that if somebody wants to do one or other thing that their work whatever work they choose to do whether it's domestic or economic yes. labor is valuable and useful for the for the partnership at the same time there's still very powerful systemic things that wouldn't that really discourage men from playing those roles and you know from men saying like i want to be the stay-at-home dad or the you know i think those are still quite rare and very interesting cases
1: Mm, i do i do and and and, you know and i think there's you know to use your word there's a lot of systemic things that prevent women from pursuing their own self interests and their own self-actualization and a lot of it is around simple things like pay yeah you know, I mean I can't tell you the number of times where I've had to have discussions about the amount that I get paid and sometimes I've actually left jobs because of it um, mm. so it, it's things like that that um, uh, that are important yeah. And and when women are seen as equal then you can make the choices that you want to in life that are suited to you Um, and how Mm you want to live yeah i mean i
0: think recent the most recent stats on that in south africa is that on average women earn 30 percent less than men Mm -hmm. across all income brackets except for the poorest five percent so there really Mm -hmm. is still like that um the actual systemic negotiations that need to happen for for anyone to even say that we aren't equal footing Mm -hmm. and our choices might be a bit broader now but i also love that um it almost felt like writing was your true love and your first, you know, your longest life-lasting love. And I'm so interested that you you write such varied forms of writing. So how do you know when something is a poem or a prose piece? And if you can tell us a little bit more about your PhD and the sort of themes that you're looking at.
1: I'm foremost a poet, um, and I can remember myself being about 10 years old and skipping down the road and, and kind of writing a poem in my head. Um, And and there is a kind of family myth around this. I believe that it was published in a school magazine and nobody else in the family actually agrees with me. So I think sometimes um, when I'm writing, a story wants to be told. And it's it's very difficult for me to say that I know when a piece is going to be a poem or not. Sometimes I'll write something and then I'll see the poem forming out of it. And then sometimes it just wants to be a longer story. So that that's the only answer that I can give. Um, <laughs> sounds mysterious, um, and sometimes <laughs> it feels mysterious. And so, and so, my my PhD, I initially started thinking that I would write poetry, um, and that I would write a new collection of poetry. Um, and I didn't necessarily at the time have an idea of of what I wanted to write about, except this idea of of being a middle-aged woman and and what that meant and I started writing some things and I had bits and pieces and um, I met with my supervisor and we were kind of looking at stuff and reading stuff and then I happened to have an interaction with an overseas um, a visiting professor who, who said to me the one thing that's missing from everything that you're doing is a, a sense of place is missing and I then started to look at what I was doing, and then realized I actually had to situate it very carefully, um, and that actually this is not a collection of poetry, that it actually is going to be something a little bit experimental that has both poetry and prose in it, but it Mm. it needs to tell a very clear story. And it is the story about a woman who has quite a domineering mother, um, and who throughout her life tells her that she should have been a boy and her mother's a single single mother and brought her daughter up alone and so this character is really dealing with with this mother um she's also dealing with the idea that she doesn't know who her father is and um she's kind of in a way living a life that she's not quite sure that that she actually really wanted and also she's also dealing with her creativity so it, the, the novella starts off with the idea just describing her a little bit and and in it she she says because it's 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 kind of a recording from her diary she says by the time she was 55 she thought she would be a best-selling novelist and she's not and she hasn't actually even written anything so mm. so it's an exploration of that of that creativity as well
0: mm, that sounds so interesting I'm really excited to read it when it's finished product and um, just so many things came into my mind when you're talking about it I've just finished reading Sheila Hetty's Motherhood I don't know if you've read it I haven't it's fantastic it okay. is so many of the themes are sort of paralleled with what you've been talking about but hers is a, an engagement with I suppose the themes of your piece in Living While Feminist and, and that you're raising in your PhD around you know having a mother 's expectations forming part of a, a weight yes. that you have to sort of process as an adult person, and I think also in South Africa, the absent father narrative is so mm-hmm. common I think I was reading some statistics the other day and it 's only three percent of children just would live with a father whereas forty three percent of children live with only a mother mm-hmm. and the others living in some sort of mixed arrangement but it really is a you know it's a thing to process. So.
1: The one thing that I didn't mention as well um, is that obviously there's a there's a huge pressure on women in society to look a certain way and to be mm. young and pretty and to be, I don't know malleable, I suppose is the right word to use. and and so part of part of her exploration is this is this getting older and what does it actually mean? And I think that a lot of older women go through it um is that one day you catch sight of yourself in a mirror somewhere and you think to yourself, who's that middle aged woman? And then you realise it's yourself like, because you don't you don't see images, you don't see middle aged women in in literature, in in movies. Um it's it's better now, but um you never used to.
0: Yeah, I mean if you think of some of the actresses that have done very well for themselves, there's very few older women actresses that you actually see on television anymore. Mm-hmm. Very, very few. And they do tend to fit the the narratives of what was beautiful of their era still. Yes. So it's like they've got special permission. This is the ordinary woman, you know. But it was really nice to have you. Yes, <laughs> <Yeah>. yes. <laughs> um, I listened to a podcast the other day with Alanis Morissette, who was obviously very popular in the 90s. Mm. And she was saying she finds that confrontation of herself in the mirror to be one of the most difficult things in your life because you, when you're not in front of a mirror you have this idea of what you are and it has nothing to do with how you look like most of the time. I think COVID is helping a lot with that. <laughs> sitting here in tracks <laughs> and pants and stuff. And then suddenly you see this reflection in the mirror and there's like a disassociation that yes. happens between who you're seeing and who you, you know, who you, you think you look like. Um, have you thought, have you found something that you didn't expect to find in doing this project?
1: Um, have I- No, I haven't found anything that I haven't expected to find. Um, But as I said, because of it, I've I've read a lot more feminist theory than than I have ever done in my life, um, which I said has has made me quite angry. Um, I've really struggled um, in in COVID, in this lockdown to actually, because I work as well, to work Mm. and to study. And so it's kind of taking a little bit of a back burner. So, so when it's going to be finished, I do not know. I can't answer that question.
0: But if you think of it like a field that's um, laying fallow and nourishing new growth, you never know what you're going to find. I think no. COVID has knocked everybody's motivation <laughs> just for six. So. Um, I wanted to ask you about the idea of doing the MA and the PhD. I think I've also done an MA in creative writing, and it was a very valuable learning experience in terms of what I thought I would get out of it versus what I did get out of it. And we're seeing so many more, well, at least since when I was studying, more places where you can do this type of study and more universities offering this. Um, But I'm very worried. Well, two things. One is when I listen to American writers on a podcast they often have been trained in this particular way of speaking and reading and writing Mm. you can hear who has done an mfa they call it and and who hasn't Um, but what value do you think this um pursuit of creative writing through academia has and and what are some of the limitations that you've experienced
1: so I'm going to take a step back and, and and say that I only really started taking my writing seriously when I was in my late 30s and I was living in London at the time. And every time I got in the tube, there was a sign for the poetry, London Poetry School. And I said to myself, you know, if you don't start taking your writing seriously now, you never will and i did a whole year long poetry course with a poet called um Tamara who i'm i'm still in contact with and I've, I've done another course online with her subsequently and she really believed in me and my writing um mm. and 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 that for me and it was a it wasn't an academic environment in terms of a university but it was a more formal environment and i found that structure and that focus on my creativity and the support of somebody else um Really very useful. Doing the MA for me was an interesting thing because I'd already published two collections. But it felt to me as if I needed to broaden my horizons. Um, And I found, because I did my MA at Rhodes University, and the the MA in creative writing there is very much focused on reading. Um, Mm. And they have an amazing list of books that I had never heard of, writers that I had never heard of. So for me, that particular MA is not a cookie-cutter MA. Mm. Um, They do encourage diverse thinking, they do encourage diverse reading. Mm. And um, one of the things that my supervisor at the time said to me is that you won't understand the impact of the MA immediately. And that'll take years for it to come out. So I I only wrote poetry before the MA. So it was the MA that enabled me to explore the prose writing. um, Mm. And for for me to actually believe in myself that I could actually do that. Um, Yeah, and I recently had an uh, I had an image taken, I took an image and, and submitted it to an online um, uh, kind of festival that was happening. And it got accepted and published, and I never would have had the courage to do it if I didn't have the understanding and the background that i had got through through doing the ma so so i think it has value um and i think it it has it has value if you if you work with somebody who encourages you yeah um, and who can who can see what you're capable of Um, that for me was very important Um, and I, I'm doing, the, I, I initially was doing the Ph.D. because um, because Koba Smallman is my supervisor mm-hmm. and um, he is a fantastic person to work with. And he's also encouraging and a really, an amazing poet, um, and I really wanted to learn from him. Mm. So, you know, I just, I think as a writer, I'm never going to stop learning. And I think that I've gained a lot out of it that helps me with the students that I work with. Um, mm. So that for me has been an important part of doing the PhD, is that it's, it's added value to my own teaching.
0: To your, so you do do you do you
1: teaching and supervision at the Rhodes MFA or the mm. Yes, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, it's very part time, you know, we're there a few weeks a year and then the supervision obviously lasts either a year or six months, depending on if it's a full-time or a part-time student. Yeah, I think when I did mine, I didn't
0: really – I mean, it didn't feel very structured at the time that I did it at UCT. I can't comment on what it's like now. But what I found very helpful was the idea of getting used to people giving you feedback on your writing and criticism. Mm.
1: But, yes. You know,
0: I think you're not used to getting – you need feedback on your writing because it is always so personal, even when it's a nonfiction, you know, features journalist piece, you have imbued it with feeling. And so that can yes. be very scary. But I got so used to getting people say and also to people saying, I just don't like it. And that being okay, you know, that yes. not everyone is going to get what you do. is a very valuable yes. thing to know deeply. Yes. You know, I think that's valuable. And. Um, but tell me, I mean, both of us attend some of the writing workshops here in Cape Town that are hosted by Moira Fisher and Chantal. So tell me about what is different for you than, you know, having done those courses in a sort of academic space compared to regular writing workshops and what are the different forms of value that they give you?
1: So those workshops for me, um, I found very useful because they give me ideas and topics that I wouldn't necessarily have thought about. So, for I'll give you a very specific examples. So, in one of um, um, Moira Fisher's workshops, um, we did something on neighbours, and so I and so I then wrote a scene for, for, for my novella for my PhD about, about neighbours, um, and I f- and I found that very helpful. Um, mm. I f- think sometimes as a writer, because you have particular ideas, you I don't know. For, well, I, that is certainly for me. I tend to go round and round something all the time. Mm. Um, and that those workshops bring a little bit more creativity and fun in, you know, doing a PhD yeah. thesis um, is doing a PhD thesis, you know, it's a solid <laughs> yeah. piece of work. Um, whereas those workshops are a little bit more fun and sometimes I just, I just write for the fun of it. Um, mm. And I think that that's important for me as a writer to, to keep that, that mm. it is creativity, um, that it's not just all work. Yeah, I think because there's
0: that, you know, I think you used the the phrase that you only started taking yourself seriously as a writer. And I think that's a phrase that I use all the time as well. Like I almost gave myself permission to take myself yes. seriously by but- by paying all this money to do a master's and yes. saying, "Okay, well now I've spent the money, so I'm really a writer." Yes. And I find that when you're in a workshop setting like that, you remember why you wanted to write in the first place. Like yes, that, you know that there's that it's fun. That it's actually yes. fun to generate things, and I think it's a, such an important part of writing practice. That yes. that um, that also, I suppose, an academic setting gives you, and then in the getting the feedback and stuff. But just for the writing as play and as creative yes. practice and then my last question to you is what are you working on now other than the PhD or what are you
1: enjoying working on now (laughs) so um funny enough I'm writing a whole lot of nature poems which is definitely not me so um so poems yeah that have a quite a strong theme of animals and nature um yeah and you know it, it it's a play so in, in the sense of I'm playing with it, it's creative, it's fun. If it doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't go anywhere, but I'm I'm writing it because I want to write.
0: Yeah. I don't think feminism is necessarily or writing is necessarily about the output a lot of the time. I think it's really, I mean, it's really like the people who say the journey is important, yes. not the destiny. Creative work is so much about that for me, it's just seeing yes. what you learn. Along the way, and um, it's it's difficult. Also, again, to be in a capitalist system and to you know enjoy unproductive labor, but really it is enjoyable. I have a friend who says doing nothing is the biggest fuck you to the patriarchy that you yes. Can give. Yes. No. I, I, <laughs> can ab- I can
1: absolutely because you, you have to be productive. What are you doing with this time? So yeah, no, it is a. I you know I. Besides the lecturing, I have a, a, a contract work that I do, and I only work four days a week, and people find that so amazing. Like, what do you do with the extra day? Well, like today, I did nothing. I don't tell yeah. them that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I feel a need to then say to people, no, but, you know, I have another job, you know. I, yeah. I work with writing students and, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but sometimes I I'd, I'd literally do do that. as I do nothing, and it's wonderful. And I think yeah. it's helpful for the creative brain as well definitely i mean there's
0: even science that will tell you so as long as (laughs) (laughs) you have to rest in order to create Life it doesn't work um i have a few last questions uh what is a book that you would recommend seeing as you've read so much feminism
1: lately to other people (laughs) to read am i allowed to give you more than one yes you Um, are absolutely okay so uh, there's this i uh, there's three i think that are very important one is rebecca solnit's the mother of all questions the other one is um shami chakrabarti's book of women which for me the the stats and the history that she goes into about women it, just a very important book and then laurie penny's book called meat market which is about um uh, being a woman um the, it's female f- flesh under capitalism and I think it's it's very important to, to, to see that. Um, it, it comes back to what we were talking earlier on about image and, and that our economy revolves around women buying makeup and having their hair done and all of those things. So are th- yeah, those three.
0: I heard a very good quote, and I, I really must look it up because I tell it to people all the time. But it was something like, if you're feeling bad about yourself as a woman, you must ask who's making money off of that. Yes. And it's like how entrenched patriarchy and capitalism are and how they feed off of each other. And, you know, just the very powerful idea that you can wake up in the morning enough is, I think, revolutionary still for so many yes. people. Also. Yes. That's when we all know that we've won a little bit yes. more of the fighters. When you no know, one thinks they have to do anything to be yes. enough. Do you have a quote that you live by or that inspires you?
1: I think it's a quote that I sent to you for the for the for the writing prompts, um, and that's the Audrey Lord quote. So I'm learning to speak my pieces to inject into the living world my convictions of what is necessary and what I think important. Without concern for whether it is understood, tolerated, correct, or heard before, my work is to inhabit the silence with which I have lived and fill them with myself until they have the sounds of the brightest day and the loudest thunder. Ooh. And I just, I just love that quote, and I actually quoted to everybody, you know, to Ooh. to to writers that I work with, um, because I think it's a very strong feminist um, quote. Um, But I think it's a a, a quote that's important for everybody. Yeah. Just to have
0: faith in your own knowledge of what Mm. you need to get, what needs to get done through you. I think is helpful for me. Yeah. Um, What would be your advice to other feminists as they embark on their journeys or in full swing?
1: I think find stories of people that that resonate with you. Like, for example, for me, um, even Boland, who's an Irish writer, her um, book called Journey of Two Maps, um, which is about her journey as an Irish woman poet. Um, now, if you think of Ireland, it has a great tradition of male poets, male mm-hmm. writers, um, and what that was like for her to be in, to be in that society and in that country and tr- trying to be a poet as a woman, um, and how women's stories were kind of dismissed as not serious, and not important. Um, so I think find, find the woman that you identify with and, and follow them. There's so many people on social media um, that, that, that you can, you'll certainly find the people that you identify with.
0: Well, thank you so much, Kerry. This has been so enjoyable. I'm so excited for your work that you're going to produce and the, great work, <laughs> for the work that you have already produced. Um, but I just I really enjoyed our chat today, and I think your work is—I I enjoy your poetry so much, and I'm so excited to get stuck into your novella when it's finished. <laughs> so thank you for the work that you do. I'll be sharing all your details for social media and things on the show notes of this, so people will be able to find you. Just thank you so much, and enjoy your rest day of doing nothing instead.
1: Of- <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Jen. And thank you for everything that you're doing around the book and promoting writing. Um, it's been really fantastic to follow what you're doing on social media. So thank you. Find out
0: more about Kerry Hammerton and where to get her books at kerryhamerton.com. so much for tuning into this week's episode of living while feminist with me jen thorpe please do tune in next week to hear more from feminists about their lives and experiences take care of yourselves